Guitarist John Frusciante left the wildly successful Red Hot Chili Peppers and spent the better part of the decade battling heroin addiction. Nearly seven years later, he reunited with the band, and it's his unmistakable melody that introduces the Grammy-winning 1999 hit Scar Tissue. The song delved into themes of drug addiction and the struggles to overcome it, Lead singer Anthony Kiedis had been battling his own drug addiction as well. But Scar Tissue spoke to more than just recovering drug addicts. It spoke to all kinds of people dealing with all sorts of trauma that they keep hidden from the world. Rob Connolly may be in the contact center software business with Vistio, but he firmly believes that the human element is the most important part of customer experience. When it comes to humans working with humans, be it customers and agents or salespeople and executives, he believes that understanding how we each bring our own scar tissue into every conversation can change the quality of interactions. This week on Next in Q, we discuss how scar tissue is experienced in the contact center, how companies can empower agents to deal with scar tissue, a lesson companies can learn from the nonprofit sector, the best diagnostic tool for customer experience, the opportunity companies were presented by the pandemic, and why company culture impacts agent performance. Let's get to it. Welcome to Next in Q, the podcast for contact center and customer experience professionals. Next in Q is brought to you by Happy Two Vision. Eliminate blind spots and see right through every conversation with Happy Two Vision. Learn more at HAPPITU.com. Now, here's your host, Rob Dwyer. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Next in Q. If you thought one Rob was enough, you were wrong. Because today, I'm bringing another Rob into the show, Rob Connolly. Rob, how are you? I'm well. How about you, Rob? I am fantastic, Rob. Thanks for asking. We should lobby back and forth just as many Robnesses as possible. I think people would get sick of that really, really quickly. Um, but, you know, it'll happen, I'm sure, here and there throughout the show. Today... You and I are going to talk about something that I think is uh, critical, and yet here we are, we're both in the software sales business, but we're going to talk about human connectedness. <laughs> but before we do that, let's let's learn a little bit about Rob because you have a really interesting story into how you got to where you are today. So 
introduce yourself to the audience and and give us the the cliff's notes on kind of how you got to where you are yeah absolutely um so currently work for a company called vistio and uh focus on contact center agents making them more efficient and effective and valuable and satisfied in their work um but i was pivoting into software during the pandemic majority of my adult life, I've worked in the nonprofit sector and really focused my energy on connecting people towards uh, a common per, uh, purpose and mission that's bigger than themselves. And uh, during the pandemic, uh, I had been working in building materials since 2018, but it, it really seemed like, you know, software was an opportunity to uh, move into a space that was growing and that had an opportunity within itself to you know, make humanity better in theory. Um, so I ended up pivoting into software, into the contact center space through this role with Vistio. Uh, and I was starting from scratch. I was starting from scratch, understanding what contact center and customer experience was all about uh, as a discipline. In my previous roles, I've always been really dedicated to the people aspects, whether that be internal team members or understanding the external stakeholders. At one point for a window and door company, I was VP of sales and marketing, and I was the entire go-to-market team and the entire customer service team. Um, and so we were in a position where we were taking a very small regional company and, and putting it on the national map um, and competing against the big window and door companies in our space. So the buck had to stop with me. I answered all the difficult phone calls. Actually, I answered all the phone calls for a while. Um, but, you know, kind of navigating through some of those experiences, bu building out a distribution network for that company, really coming to see clearly sales and marketing, A, happen together in alignment, ideally. But more importantly, it's all about the human beings involved. It's all about receiving and giving value in a way that is credible. And then you come into, I come into the contact center space and it's massively saturated with software vendors. It's massively saturated with um, cold email, cold phone call resistance. It's massively um, anti-sales. You know, we, the contact center has been sold so many times, nobody wants to be sold anymore, Right. Um, and so getting to kind of start from scratch into the industry, knowing that I don't really know anything about how it works, uh, just digging into who is out there saying things that matter, that resonate with me. Um, there, there's sort of like a, a, a rehumanization of software sales and marketing that is going on anyway, broader than contact center, but there's never been a space in, in any of the conversations that I've been involved in where that was more necessary than in contact center because at the end of the day uh, everybody says they're going to improve your metrics right um everybody says you know we're different you know we operate differently and then most companies go about doing exactly the same things that everybody else is doing um and, and so you know just kind of getting to where we're having different kinds of conversations about agent value and agent experience um and how uh, the humans that are involved in the customer service and customer experience motions are first and foremost humans and they have needs and they have concerns and they have scar tissue, right? Um, that they bring into these exchanges. 
And if businesses in the long run want to drive the long-term business value and, and business outcomes that's going to lead to profitability and growth in the top line, I've come to this conviction that understanding the human element, both internally and externally to the company is a number one. And the companies that do that well moving forward are going to be the ones that win, especially as there are more options for automation than ever. Yeah. And there are more options than ever for sure. And that's only going to accelerate. You uh, mentioned a term that I'd like to dig into a little bit when we talk about dealing with other people. And that's scar tissue. Tell me what you mean by that and how you approach that. Yeah, so when I when I reference scar tissue in, in a context like this, I'm basically talking about I've been burned before in a very similar way to the way you're engaging with me now. So I'm I'm resistant to what you have to say because I've been taken advantage of, I've been mistreated, um, I've had a negative experience that feels an awful like what we're doing right now. And so um, those kind of engagements that occur, especially when someone in the context in our world finds out that I'm in software sales. Um, you can see the filters go up. You can see the, <laughs> oh, great. Um, here comes the pitch, right? There, because there's scar tissue for them that that means they're going to get pitched. They're going to get treated like a lead or a prospect and not like a human. Um, and I would say this is true in professional contexts more broadly where um, let's take an agent supervisor relationship where, you know, an agent has been treated like a number and like they're just a cog in a machine um, enough times, they're going to assume that that's how they're going to be treated because that's been their experience. And so there can be certain, you know, words or, you know, instances that bring back past issues for people in general. I mean, neurologically, um, this is referred to as trauma, right? Where you, you have this desire to uh, navigate life well, you've got these past experiences that have hurt you. And in some cases, um, it's truly medical trauma in the sense that your brain has rewired itself to protect yourself from the, the things that have happened in the past. And you might not even realize that that trauma is being triggered. Um, but in many cases, it's just like, oh gosh, another salesperson, I, I don't want to hear from them. Um, or it could be, you know, here comes the supervisor asking for a meeting again at an odd time. This is definitely bad news. Turns out maybe you're getting a promotion. I don't know. Um, but we, as we work together as humans, um, you know, we have to recognize that we all have past experiences that we bring into the engagement that we're at currently having. And so this is something that for customers is a huge variable in how they interact with a brand and a customer service representative. You know, they may have scar tissue from this particular brand. They may have scar tissue from a week ago when they called. Um, they might have scar tissue from earlier when they called and got transferred five times and their problem wasn't resolved. And so then that customer service agent is picking up at a place that they might not fully be able to understand in the two-way exchange because there are indeed two humans with all of our glorious variables. Um, and so scar tissue really is, is what we bring to the table that could negatively impact some form of two-way engagement. Yeah, we have so many variables. And I think this is something that we often struggle to 
keep in mind as we're working with other people. And that's in our business relationships. It can be in our personal relationships. We often are so involved with ourselves that it's hard to really focus on how our message is being received and the factors that are impacting the way that message is being received. And everything you just said is like, it's a huge thing to deal with, whether it's a sales conversation uh, between, you know, someone like me and, and leadership at a contact center or that relationship between the agent and the customer, the agent and the supervisor. And for that agent and the customer, they're doing that over and over and over and over with different customers all day long. Yeah. How do you help an agent? I mean, what are some strategies that you can take from like outside of contact center, right? One of the things I think that is really intriguing about you is for most of us who are in the contact center business in one way or another, like we have been in it for a long time and there's some advantages to that, but there's some disadvantages to that as well. And so I think you're bringing some fresh eyes because you didn't grow up into that. So what are some things that maybe supervisors can employ when they're working with their agents to help their agents perform better, to further that relationship with them? And are those strategies equally useful when I'm an agent dealing with a customer? Yeah, I think very practically speaking, um, it's it's something that's either uh, devoid of a connection with the work that's being done like we we talk about it it's it's on a poster in the break room you know we we spend 5 minutes on it in training um you know kind of going through the motions because we know we're supposed to kind of at least give lip service to this um or it's something that's part of the culture of the organization from the top down and all the way through right so if if we talk in training about making genuine connection as is appropriate for the type of interactions that you're having with the customer. And then, you know, we don't treat the agents like humans. That's probably not going to end in really good customer engagement and, and customers really feeling like the people they're talking to genuinely care on the whole, because you're getting an inconsistent message throughout the organization there and actually a contradictory message which, which is, is kind of problematic. Like I, I can imagine walking into work and being told now, remember, I know you don't like your job, but, but those people out there pay your paycheck. So just pretend to be happy and that you care. And, and you won't hear an executive say that in a meeting, but the way that many companies are run function as though the executives might as well be saying that. Right. Yeah. Um, and so I think it, it really starts with do we as a company and do the leaders within the company value humans and exhibit that value within a business context? I mean, a business is not a charity. A business is not a nonprofit. We're here to make money. But at the end of the day, uh, the way that we value everyone in the stakeholder list, be they external or internal, internal stakeholders, does directly impact the top line growth 
uh, and the bottom line profitability of most companies. Um, you know, and, and, and so that was sort of a big picture answer to your question. Um, but I think the first answer is it's got to be consistent throughout the organization as the agent experiences it in order for the customer to experience it from the agent, no matter what you do for training, no matter what you tell the agent, no matter how you measure the agent, if that other stuff isn't there, then the agent is rolling his or her eyes the entire time, whether you can see it or not, right? Um, and then very practically, I think knowing your business and knowing the uh, dynamics that customers bring to the interactions and equipping your agent to really see this experience through the customer lens. And, and you know, this is one of the differentiators between really good customer journey mapping and useless customer journey mapping, where, you know, you can say, yeah, I got a customer journey map and you've drawn out the steps of what they want to accomplish. But when you start to add, you know, what they're bringing from an emotional and a need standpoint beyond just the, I would like this box checked and I need to change my password and I need to whatever, like you begin to actually put the agent in a position to understand the experience that the customer is having beyond just the brass tacks of that interaction. And that's where you're going to have customers that are super encouraged by engaging with one of your agents. If you've freed up and trained that agent to have that awareness and to think about, hey, we're not just here to see how quickly we can clock out. Um, you know, we actually have a purpose in what we do. We have customers whose lives are made better by our product or service. And it's up to us to see that through and to make sure that we are actually accomplishing that purpose that we all have together as a company. And then the actions and the ways that the agents are, are measured as well as the way that they're equipped has to match up with all of this as well. Uh, so I think it, it, it's a very holistic view that is required to see this happen in, in a realistic way. Um, and some organizations are great at this. Uh, some organizations do a really good job of, of being connected with their employee and encouraging the appropriate level of connection between their employee and their customer. Some organizations see the contact center as a cost only, and they're looking to see how efficiently and cheaply they can do the bare minimum. Um, and in many industries and, and in many verticals, that just doesn't really cut it, especially when others take a different approach. And so as, as people are starting to ask more questions societally about what does it mean to be human, uh, they're starting to uh, care about the, the why behind the brands they do business with. Um, you know, there's, there's talks of, you know, at some point in the future, companies are going to have to basically disclose what they believe as a company and people will be making choices about who to do business with based on their alignment with those statements you know, we're having a different set of economic conversations than we were having two or three years ago. And the brands that understand that big picture and actually uh, invest in that big picture from the inside out, top down, um, are going to be the ones that win. Is there something that for-profit companies can learn about messaging from nonprofits about mission, vision, values. I mean, I think everyone who's involved with a nonprofit really understands that going into it. And that might be painting with a really broad brush there. That's probably not 100% true, but I feel like the mission is always first and foremost with nonprofits. Is there a lesson there? Well, I mean, the main differentiator in 
you know, the people that typically staff a nonprofit or, you know, get the majority of the work done at a nonprofit is they're not getting paid um, or they're getting paid substantially less typically, you know, mm -hmm. if they are on staff. Um, and, you know, the way that this manifests itself is that if you aren't bought in to the mission, you're not going to be there. You're not going to be a part of it right. if you're not bought into the mission, because there's really very little or zero monetary value, um, you know, to being a part of that organization. And so it starts there with a shared sense of why we're even here. And the paycheck rarely is a variable as to why people engage in certain behaviors within a nonprofit. Um, not so in the larger business world. So when you go to work because you need to eat and pay rent and pay your bills and you need to function and you have a fundamental disconnect with the organization for which you work, you're, you are sort of making a compromise of sorts to say, this is what I have to do. I might not like it. I might not like the people I work for or with. I might not like what I do, but this is what I've got to do, right? There, there's a, a certain pragmatic compromise that's occurring there, right? And so I think the idea that you can do work that fulfills you, you can do work that has meaning for you, um, unfortunately for many seems elusive or impossible or maybe something that is for other people, but not for you or, yeah. and I would argue that majority of the time, and there are obvious exceptions. And as you said earlier, sometimes you have to paint with broad strokes if you're going to paint at all. Um, but I think for the most part, with some obvious exceptions, the meaning that you find in work ha has to start within yourself. Um, and you may find that you are in a very long-term permanent sense, not in alignment with the company for which you work. You don't believe that they provide the value to your customer that would make you feel good about representing that brand to the customer. And that's a good reason to find another job. Um, especially if you've gone, you know, through the available channels to discuss your concerns and vocalize um, you know, your thought processes. And I would argue it's up to companies and brands to make that a thing, to make it safe to get that feedback from the agent um, to say on a regular, by the way, if companies aren't making that a thing, they're losing out on a ton of insight to understand because the agents are the best diagnostic tool you can possibly have for your customer's experience. Better than what the customer will probably tell you on a survey yeah. is the way that the agent experiences the customer's in different scenarios, dealing with different policies and other components of working with that brand as a customer. So missing out if you're not doing that um, actively and finding ways to make that not only a thing, but a safe thing for agents to provide. But if you're the agent and you don't find yourself in a total disconnect or misalignment with your company, it's really up to you to choose to find meaning in the work that you have because there, I, I see personally a lot of meaning and value in helping a customer satisfy a problem that they have with your company. Hey, I've got a 12-month contract with this utility. I, I'm only eight months in. My you know internet speed has dipped, and I'm not getting the internet speed that 
uh, I need to get, what can we do about this to be able to step in there and say, Hey, I'm getting paid. This is my job, but I'm going to help that customer achieve the value that they're paying for with my company. Uh, there's, there's meaning to be had in that sort of work, right? Um, you know, they get an update on shipping for a retail company to a customer who's trying to figure out where their package is or, you know, help with returns or, you know, go through any of the scenarios, it's people helping people, you know? And so I think there is a deeper connected meaning in helping other people that does translate from the nonprofit world. Now, here's the big variable, Rob. Is the agent equipped to do their work well? Is the agent trained to do their work well? Does the agent feel connected in a healthy and non-misaligned way? I know that was a double negative, but it's on purpose. With their company so that when they are engaging with that customer, they are able to be a human helping another human and not just a human that's trying to survive another shift and yeah. get to the clock out point. Now that that does also partially lie in the hands of the customer and how reasonable and uh, kind and, you know, sort of common sense the customer is being never been more of a variable than it is today. Um, so, you know, as a company, if you're not giving that agent every opportunity with the things that I've already mentioned to be in a good place with their work, some of the rough customer interactions that they have will push them to a place of it not being meaningful and it not being a healthy thing. So I think the onus relies, you know, lies in both camps. It, it, it's, it's on the company to give the agent every opportunity to see that meaning and that connectedness and to bring that value to the customer. But then it's on the agent to take whatever moment they're in and see meaning and value in that moment as they're providing service. Yeah. I, there's so much in what you just said there that it's difficult to unpack it all because one of the things that I think is really intriguing that you mentioned is we're, we're all kind of re-evaluating how companies work, what companies believe in deciding who we want to do business with in ways that maybe we didn't three or four years ago. And I wonder, do you think that's because we experienced this moment of disconnectedness, like forced disconnectedness that now all of a sudden we are really just reaching for something that we took for granted in the past? I think that's part of it, Rob, because there's no question that um, staying home for the most part for months on end, um, as well as the impact of um, losing people, not being able to even grieve in the traditional ways, doing funerals by video and, and you know, the, the things that we've been through society wide and globally in the last two to three years, uh, along with being at home and just having some kind of forced reset, it, it provides an opportunity. And I'm not convinced everybody's taken it for what it could be, um, but it provides an opportunity for reflection. And it certainly provides opportunity for different choices. You know, the, the dynamic of remote work, work from home became a required dynamic for the majority of the economy to figure out 
very, very quickly. It's one of the reasons that software sales and marketing grew so quickly, um, which now we're on the back end of seeing a lot of layoffs in that same space because there was kind of a growth at all cost, which then now the layoffs have an impact on society and on the labor economy. But when we're talking about that time frame where we were all told to stay home and you couldn't buy toilet paper and you know we we weren't processing things the way that we were before and we were going through these uh you know numerically unique losses of people within society due to uh, what was going on with the pandemic all of this really was a crossroads moment in the making for society and for the larger economy and and some people found they had leverage in the workplace that they never had before because they could take a new job and not have to relocate for the first time in their career. Yeah. You know, they wouldn't have to uproot their family and find a new place to live. They just had to make sure their inter internet connection was still on, right? And and some of the stigma related to job hopping uh, was reduced because people were trying to find different situations. Some of the leverage moved away from the employer and towards the employee in the labor market for the first time in, in quite a while. Uh, so, you, you know, all of these dynamics really did cause uh, new pathways for companies to persuade, to acquire and keep top talent uh, for the level of expectation and requirement of customer experience to change. And numerous other dynamics um, that that I think when it comes down to it, many companies have had an opportunity to chart a new path in the economy. Um, and some have taken that and have done a really, really good job of figuring out what customer service and customer experience, uh, what they want those things to look like moving forward because they, they weren't forced to assume as many things. Um, yeah. that, that opportunity kind of came about. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely, I think, changed uh, some people for the better and and maybe some people for the worse, right? I mean, some people uh, certainly have not taken that opportunity or are uh, maybe deciding that that opportunity isn't, isn't the right way. And we're seeing that in um, some, some ironic ways uh, from just the, the work from home aspect, but you're also seeing it in, I think, the, the customer satisfaction, customer experience type of indexes that are out there that are saying, you know what, things are just as bad or worse now than they ever have been. And people are really dissatisfied as a, as a whole, right? There are obvious bright spots for certain companies as there always are. There, there are um, people at either either end of that bell curve that are really kicking tail or, you know, just holding on and, and trying not to fall off the, uh, the graph altogether. Right. I want to jump a little bit over into equipping agents. Cause you talked about that a little bit. And I think one of the things that we often forget and, particularly for new agents, agents who are still trying to figure out how to navigate, to understand all of the policies. I think sometimes we forget that their focus 
tends to be on those things and not the person on the other end of the communication channel, whatever channel that is. Right. How, how do you go about helping that situation? I'm going to start where I started last time, which is it, it really starts with the culture of the company um, to be customer centric and understanding the need for the agent to engage with the human as a human, right? So if there is not a culture of customer centricity, then it's going to default to policies, procedures, and efficiency only and quality only as the only things that matter, right? So I just think about the the many examples out there of interactions that from a QA standpoint were efficient, there were no errors, all the policies were followed, all of the technical measurements came out really, really great on that interaction. And yet the customer no longer does business with the brand because their actual needs were never even calculated into how the agent was being trained, equipped, or measured in that interaction. And so I think it, it's it's really a holistic answer of taking that value of customer centricity and putting that into action through those three avenues. You know, how is how is the agent trained? How is the agent equipped? And how is the agent measured? You know, those three filters really determine whether the words of customer centricity are actually what matters to the company. So yeah. now we joke about like, um, you know, posters on the wall in the break room um, and words you say during training, but those three things will tell you what the company cares about. And yeah. those three things are things that the agent knows point to what the company actually cares about. You know, it's very interesting to your point about how the agents measured. One of the things that I've experienced in the past is uh, in like a, a quality calibration, right? You've got a bunch of people listening to a call as a group and some people will have out uh, whether it's electronic or maybe they're even old school and they've got a paper form and they're kind of right going and checking the box. And then when you start talking about it, sometimes that person has checked all these boxes and they're really identifying um, potentially minor impact items. When, if you just take a step back and think about what was the customer's experience here? Was this a good experience? Did we solve their problem? Are they happy? Are they happy and we didn't solve their problem? They just don't know it yet. Like those kinds of things are really critical in understanding how we're actually performing. And sometimes that old school check the box rubric is not going to tell you really how we're actually performing. And being able to distinguish between kind of that old school mentality and then the customer centric mentality will really make a huge difference. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, at the end of the day, customers who are not contractually obligated to continue doing business with any company are going to vote with their money. Mm -hmm. 
they're going to stop doing business with companies that aren't satisfying their needs and their needs are almost always not purely transactional. Uh, so at the end of the day, it's not just, did I receive a good value for what I paid? Oftentimes it's where my concerns validated are the policies of the company pro customer or anti-customer. Um, if there's an issue, did the customer find that the company cared about that issue and resolve it in a way that, you know, makes it palatable to continue to do business with that company? Uh, you know, um, because I think if you know that you can get a human on the phone that cares, even though you might have to call them three or four more times a year, uh, you would rather do that than have that one time or two times where you're on hold with five different departments and nobody wants to own it and nobody wants to give you real information because the company just doesn't care. Yeah. Uh, you know, and we've all been there, um, you know, and internet service providers and utilities can be somewhat notorious for really <laughs> not caring. Yeah, they can. Well, I care that you were nice enough to take some time out of your day to join me today, Rob. It's been wonderful talking to you and I'm glad that we got connected and uh, shout out to Milan who got us connected. Yeah. He's a nice guy like that. He's a good fellow. He is. He is. I'm glad to have been able to chat with you about this. It's a passion of mine. Um, goes beyond the contact center, but it is very, very relevant in the contact center, which is basically just human to human business interactions on at a scale that most people don't even recognize exists if they're not in it. Yeah. Well, if you're a human and you want to get connected with Rob and talk to him, check the show notes. There is going to be a link to his LinkedIn profile. Just Give him a shout. That's how we got connected. Uh, he is on there regularly. So definitely get to know him. Rob, thanks again. Have a fantastic day, my friend. You too, Rob. Thanks for having me. Next in Queue is brought to you by Happy To and is produced by me, Rob Dwyer. If you enjoy this podcast, please, by all means, subscribe and or rate this podcast in iTunes or your favorite podcast app. But more importantly, please tell just one person about this podcast. Word of mouth is the best way for people to discover new content. As always, thanks for listening.